Today's the second Sunday of the new year, so I wanted to ask you a question. How is your spiritual growth? We finished 2018, uh, so do a personal evaluation. Nobody can do that but you. Evaluate, have you read more? Have you served more? Have you given more? Have you prayed more? Uh, you and I can rate our growth because the, pro- the, the process is that we are continuing to grow on a regular basis. There is no holding pattern in the spiritual life. We either are advancing or we're retreating. And so the good news is this. If you can answer no to that, there, you have a whole new year to start over and to work harder and to do things. I, I, I've attended probably last year a hundred services. I gave thousands of dollars. I visited the sick people. I prayed for people who were hurting and people who were uh, in the hospital. I conducted funerals for saints and sinners alike. I invested in new believers and can ask myself this question. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? I want to tell you a story. Uh, William uh, was born in 1887 to a very affluent environment, but his mother was a dedicated Christian who nurtured him in the faith, and at a young age, William committed his heart to Jesus Christ. At the just at young age of 16, he graduated from high school, and his parents uh, rewarded him with a trip around the world. Uh, that would be good. I, I don't think my parents gave me anything when I graduated from high school. Uh, so as he traveled around the world, he came across uh, Europe and Asia and the Middle East. He began to be burdened for the millions of people he was seeing that were hurting. And most of them had never, ever heard the story of the gospel. And so he began right then to dedicate himself to a, a lifetime of serving the Lord uh, by being a missionary. Uh, he was under the preaching of the famous uh, evangelist R.A. Torrey, so he was being stoked and smoked. He was getting hot for the Lord. William's father, however, was adamant that before he did anything like that, he had to attend university. So being an obedient son, he entered Yale University, and in his freshman year he found that his passion for Christ was uh, totally unshared by his classmates. And so what he did is he found somebody who was like-minded with him, and they began to meet every morning for prayer and Bible study. They would read a portion of Scripture and pray together every morning at Yale University. Pretty soon another person joined him, then another, and then another, and then another. They tell us at the end of his freshman year, there were a total of 150 students meeting every morning for Bible reading and prayer. By the end of his four years of uh, Yale, there were a thousand students involved in this kind of ministry. That's discipleship at work. When you meet one-on-one with one and you, you encourage others to join. But during college, he wasn't just content to pray and read the Bible. He was concerned about a, a part of New Haven, Connecticut, down around the docks where all of the derelicts, uh, that's what they used to call them, uh, the homeless people, the, the alcoholics would meet down there. And so because his family had money, he used his family money uh, to fund the mission down there. It was called the Yale Hope Mission. 
Uh, he got the buildings and the money for the ministry and all that, and it started working. But it wasn't enough just to make a financial investment. He was found down there all the time. He was found down there feeding the poor. He would be uh, counseling with uh, people who were addicts and uh, leading somebody to the Lord. He just kept on working in that. He also was really involved in the student volunteer ministry uh, as he was in school. During his college years, his father passed away and left him a considerable chunk of money. But William was undaunted. He knew what the Lord wanted him to do. He was going to go to western China and minister to Muslims in that area of China. And so uh, he figured he better get his master's degree. So he went to Princeton, got his master's degree, and then set out for his mission. And he wanted to go to Cairo, Egypt first because he thought if he learned Arabic, it would give him a leg up dealing with the Muslims in western China. It was there in Egypt that William contracted spinal meningitis. He died a month later. He is buried in Cairo. People hear that story and they say, what a waste of a young life. Millions of dollars could have been spent for the causes of Christ he had at his disposal. But William challenged himself with this. He didn't concentrate on an earthly inheritance, no matter how great, but poured his life into an eternal inheritance, waiting for him in eternity. William Borden, heir to the Borden Milk Company, now worth $2 billion, lived a short life of 25 years, but even now the hundreds of people that have been ministered to by the Yale Hope Mission the number of students who had their lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and us, even us, as we read a story of someone who is so committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are blessed by his life. Was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. In his Bible, they found these three phrases after his, parents, or his mother went over. It said this in his Bible, No reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Man, don't you want to live your spiritual life that way? Some of us are young and some of us are old. And how I would like to be able to write in the flyleaf of my Bible at the end of my life. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. Borden was sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so should we be. He had a goal of serving the Lord, but he didn't wait until the big moment came. He got invested in it now. If you truly want to be used by the Lord, now is the time to start. Too many of us wait until something big can happen in our life or something significant can happen before we start serving the Lord. Making disciples is a worthy task of each and every believer. And I, I'll be honest with you, this isn't just smoke. Uh, Cornerstone does it as well as anybody. I am totally impressed with your church and what you do here as a disciple makers at Cornerstone. You meet with people, you pour your life into people, and sometimes we ask ourselves, is it worth it? There is a sacrifice to be made. Every church, including this church, 
cannot function with countless numbers of volunteers who are ministering right now while we're in this room. Some go unseen. Some names are hardly ever mentioned. And yet this church could not be what it is without them. You might say to yourself, yeah, I know. I'm behind the scenes sometimes. I'm there. I don't think anybody even cares what I'm doing. And I promise you that no act of service ever goes unnoticed by Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? Is it worth the price of dedication? Is it worth the price of our talents and our treasure and our time? Is it worth it? Jesus had a conversation with a very rich young man. It's recorded in Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn there. And that encounter prompted a question from Peter that we'll concentrate on in a second. Here's what the Word of God says, beginning at verse number 17 of Mark chapter 10. And when he had gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is only one good, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. He answered and said unto them, Master, all these I have done from my youth. I want you to notice what the next verse says. Then Jesus beholded him, loved him, said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy, well and, uh, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come take up your cross and follow me. And he was sad at the saying. He went away grieved for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around about and said unto his disciples. How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were astonished, out of measure, saying among themselves, And who can be saved? Jesus, looking at them, said, With men it is impossible, but with God it's not. All things are possible with God. We sang that song. And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all to follow you. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my sake in the gospel. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecution, and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last. Let me pray for us. Father, today we ask that you fill our hearts with truth. Open our heart minds and our heart eyes to what you're trying to say. Use this time to impress upon us that it is totally worth serving you. Do not let us become distracted by the enemy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you just a few minutes about that. Did you hear uh, the, in the last verse, there's two words Jesus added, kind of threw them in. They didn't go with anything, actually. Uh, but Jesus said this, these words, no one loses serving me. 
No one loses serving me. Uh, Thomas Borden died far away from home at a very young age and is buried in a foreign country. But Jesus did not promise us a rose garden in serving him. In fact, he's, he went through that whole thing. If you look at the very end of verse 30, he adds these two words. You get houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, parentheses, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. There are two words that mean something to us. The possibility of difficulties in our life is a reality. Jesus never promised us a comfort-free experience. He promised us a, an, a, an award both here in this world and the world to come for all dedicated service to him. Captain of a destroyer was sailing through the night. It was foggy and he looked ahead from the bridge and he could see a faint light in the, in the, right in front of him. So he had the signalman send this message, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. He got a message back that said, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Well, he didn't like that. You know, uh, captains aren't used to having people countermand their orders. And so he said, send it again. Say, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I'm a captain. A few seconds later, came back. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Seaman third class Smith. He said, send it one more time. Alter your course ten degrees to the south. I am a destroyer. A few seconds later came back. Alter your course ten degrees to the north. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> How often is that us? We get so puffed up about what we're doing, so puffed about who we are, that all of a sudden we're more concerned in people doing what we want than we are doing what is best. I have three quick points. Here they go. Eternal life comes from believing, not serving. <clears throat> I'm saved this morning. I have an eternal home waiting for me, personally prepared by Jesus Christ himself. I have eternal life not because I'm a preacher and not because I was raised in a Christian home where my mom also nurtured me into the faith. I have eternal life because I believed something. It comes by believing, not by serving. You can't be confused about this, and I'm telling you in the age in which we are living, too many people are confused about this. A recent Barna survey said that over half of the people who they considered to be born again, not the person doing the thing, but Barna, by asking certain questions, said they believed people could get to heaven by doing good works. John 14:6 said there's one way for you and I to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, come, no woman, no child, no Teenager, no one comes to the Father but by me. Not from Egypt, China, Africa, or the United States. That isn't an American gospel. That is a biblical gospel. There is one gospel, one faith, one baptism, and there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. 
than the name Jesus Christ. So if you are a child of God this morning, if you are uh, given an eternal home for uh, with Jesus Christ, you had to come through Jesus Christ to get it. No other way. Some of us are more like the stubborn captain. I know what I believe and you can't convince me of anything different. And I'm here to tell you from the word of God that you're headed for a shipwreck. And that shipwreck is going to lead to an eternity without Christ unless you alter your course and accept the truth of the gospel. Eternal life comes by believing, not by serving. I have to wander a bit or I get real nervous. Two years ago, Tony and I went uh, with uh, the group to Romania. Uh, I preached in four different churches five times, had a great time, met a lot of Romanian pastors. While we were there, Bobby was talking about uh, the investment that Adrian Rogers and Southern Baptist Convention made in Romania after the curtain came down. I was reading in a book on evangelism this year, and they had this story, and I want to share it with you. While Adrian Rogers was there for a couple of weeks, he had the same driver and interpreter. So he struck up a relationship with the driver and the interpreter, and he, he said one day to him, he said, uh, what do you think of American Christianity? And the guy wouldn't answer. I, I, I don't want to talk about it. Nothing perks the interests of a pastor more. When somebody says, I don't want to talk about it. So he just, he was relentless. He just kept asking and asking and asking and asking. Finally, he says to the man, I want you to tell me, I really want to know. And the guy looked at him and says, no, you don't want to know. And he says, I promise you, I want you to tell me what you think of American Christianity. He said these words and these haunted me. I shared them with my leadership team because it just haunted me. He said in the mid-60s, you guys changed the language about coming to Christ. It went from surrender to make a commitment. And that's two different things. When you make a commitment, you're in charge of the commitment. You decide how big the commitment is, what are the parameters of the commitment. All of that is up to you. When you surrender... To Jesus Christ, you have nothing to say. He says, Christianity is about a 100% total unconditional surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. I just thought about that and I thought about that and I thought about how we focus the way we think about Christianity now into, I, I decide, I make a decision, I, I make a commitment, I decide what I'm going to do here and what God has really wanted me to do is just abdicate all of that. To throw it all off and just throw myself at Jesus Christ in absolute and total surrender and say, you make the decisions for my life. That's how salvation is supposed to be. 100% surrender. Remember, no regrets, no retreats, no reserves. Secondly, when you, uh, when you enter the kingdom of God does not determine how you finish. Remember, Jesus said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
There are eternal rewards for us. Rewards for us. We know that, and we will reap if we don't quit. We know that. We know those scriptures. But Jesus said, "Listen, it isn't about when you enter. It's about faithfulness. Are you faithful?" Uh, at the end of verse 30, he reminded us, remember, we're going to have difficulties. And so what happens when we have difficulties? There are hardships coming. There is sadness coming. There might also be persecution coming. And we must, as a church, pray for each other. That we would be strong in the day of adversity. We just read through Proverbs together, my group and I did. And if you faint in the day of adversity, you have little strength, the Bible says. We need to pray for each other that we won't give up, that we won't quit. Because how we finish in the cause of Christ is going to be determined by whether or not we're faithful. You see, there are a lot of people who have big names and a lot of people see them. But we don't know what's going on in their hearts. We don't know how faithful they are to the Lord. It could be somebody you know that, has, that is not at all in the public eye, who has really no big show at all, who is being so faithful to the Lord that they're going to end up ahead of those who have public ministries. Because it's faithfulness determines how we finish. Do you pray for folks? you pray that they don't quit? You know, Scripture says... Uh, be not weary. Thirdly, there are rewards for service. That is for sure also. Now in this life, we have personal promises of rewards. He said, even those who follow me, who, who leave and follow me, end up with the same kind of stuff, only more. I tried to think through that, and then I realized it's like this. I think. You invest in people's lives, and those people move on to other places. But you have a family, a family of faith. And that family of faith may be closer to you and more in tune with what you do in your life than your earthly family. I have a big brother. My big brother is, uh, lives in Austin, Texas, and he loves me and he respects me. Uh, but he's lost. He knows the gospel. He could lead any person to the Lord. He knows exactly how it works. He knows. In fact, uh, my, my, my son, who's the associate or the co-pastor with me in, in Dallas, uh, was alone with him in a deer lease. And he went through the gospel with him because he's concerned about his Uncle Steve, too. And, and, and my brother said to him, Scott, I understand what you're saying. I even know what you're saying. And I know this. That if I'm, in wrong, if I'm wrong, I'm in trouble. That's where he's at. He knows the truth. He just doesn't accept the truth. He loves me as his brother, but he doesn't really understand me. I have people, Martin understands me better than my brother understands me. The friends I have in the faith understand me better than my brother understands me. And I have a lot of those. We have people that we know in the Lord that are all over the world now. 
He said, you get hundreds or you get hundredfold of all these even said houses. Do you know that there are homes you can go to if you are a believer? Not your home, but a home you can go to where you feel safe and comfortable and welcome. That could be somewhere. I just had a couple in my church Sunday. Uh, he listens to me all the time on podcasts. He lives in Frankfurt, Germany. He and his wife were in the service with me, and we went to lunch together. When I came back through Romania, I had uh, supper with him in, in Frankfurt, and so I told him I didn't want to repay your... Uh, he bought me dinner. I said, I want to buy you dinner. So we went to lunch together after the service, and he, he, he said, John, come to my house. Come to, come to Germany. It's okay. You can have your own bedroom. You have your own bathroom. You can stay as long as you want. Because we have a kinship with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord, I have a house in Germany that I've never been to yet. That's what Jesus is saying. No one leaves anything that doesn't get rewarded. You know, in Galatians 6, 4, I think it is, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint or quit. I wondered to myself, I have a lot of people that I've known in ministry over the years, I wonder how many of them were right there at the reaping point when they gave up. The way got tough, and they just quit. Family, believers, we have that. We have houses, places where we feel comfortable and welcome and safe. Uh, lands and identifications with people that we have, Romania, India, uh, uh, there are people that you know because of your involvement with them that you feel comfortable with them. The family of faith is bound together in a non-breakable environment called the spirit of the living God. And he binds us together. Is it worth it to serve Christ Jesus? Sincere service for Christ is never wasted. You know what he said? This amazes me. He said... There isn't one person who offers a cold cup of water to one of these least ones of mine who loses their reward. Can you imagine the God of creation, the God of redemption, the one we sang about that all we want and all we need is in him. And he's telling his disciples that anybody who serves me in the most humble, sincere way cannot lose their reward. There is service that is expected of us, and there are rewards for that service. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 through 6, 2, we are told that we are going to all appear before a judgment seat one day. I'm talking about believers now. That may receive what is due for what we have done in body, whether good or bad. Rewards. Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, took off his robe, grabbed a towel and a basin of water. And because they ate laying down, which I, I think might be a good thing to reinstitute, he started at the ends of their couches where their feet were and began to wash their feet around the room. In that group was a betrayer, a denier, and ten deserters. Because the scripture tells me they all left him. And yet here he is, the most humble act of service, just washing their feet. 
And as he went around the room, Peter, of course, shot off his mouth, which he always does, and said, you can't wash my feet. You're too good to wash my feet, you know. Uh, and, and Jesus said, no, if you don't let me do this, you don't even have a part in me. Do you think that he, when he got to Judas, he didn't know what Judas was going to do? Yet he washed his feet exactly the same way. He gave him the same kind of tender treatment that he gave to Peter and to the other guys. Oh, Peter's boasting later got him a rebuke, but the rebuke wasn't one of derision. It was one of reconciliation. Peter, this is what the devil wants to do. Don't let him do this to you. You and I have people sometimes who treat us badly. Sometimes it's people we pour our lives into. Jesus just spent three years pouring his life into these guys. And as he went around that night washing their feet, he knew what the outcome was going to be. And yet he tenderly and in humility served each one of them. I have to tell you that that's hard for me. Not washing somebody's feet. There are people I would give everything I have to. I love them so much. But when somebody wants to hurt me or hurt the ones I love and I have to serve them, that's a little harder. Every person in the church should have a ministry. Every member a minister. And the ministries of a local church uh, are not rated based upon what's the most important to the least important. The ministries of the church are rated by Jesus Christ on who's faithful and who's not faithful doing their ministry. And I know as a pastor, I, I am... I am in debt to people who serve our church consistently and regularly every week. Is it worth it? I will tell you, I say yes. It's worth it. Will there be perils in our life? Yes, likely. Likely. Some of you may go to the doctor this week and be hit with a diagnosis that's going to knock you off your feet. It never ceases to amaze me how a perfectly healthy looking person (laughs) comes to tell me the diagnosis the doctor gave them. Will there be perils? Likely. Will there be betrayals? Possibly. Will there be desertions? Certainly. There are people you're investing in right now who will leave. They will leave you. They will leave this church. They will leave. They will go someplace else. They will do something else. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. Today is the day for you to decide to just trust Christ. Do what he says. Walk with him in obedience. And trust him when he says, you don't lose anything serving me. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for the truth of the Word of God.
how it opens our heart, how it challenges our mind, how it causes us to think about our own self, not the person next to us or behind us. So today, this is a personal time. This is a time for me to reflect, for each person in this room to reflect on their own life. Maybe they are facing difficulties right now that are pressing on them and they want to quit. Don't let them, Father. Keep them. Keep them stayed. Keep them working. Keep them. Bring people around them who can bind themselves to them to give them extra strength. Maybe there's somebody in this room right now, which is highly likely given the size of this crowd, that has never really surrendered to you. I pray today they would do that. As we sing and just have them tear loose of where they're at and just come and abandon themselves here before you and say, whatever you want, I'll do. Wherever you send me, I'll go. I give myself to you. Maybe there are people here who are wondering if their service really does count. Help them this morning to understand how important it is to Cornerstone and how important it is to you. So they'll keep on keeping on. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand uh, and do an invitation. I, I invite you to come to an old-fashioned altar. Uh, there are people here that will meet with you if you have uh, prayer needs and desires, but come as we sing. Come quickly.